Good evening, everyone. I am rocking the 50s housewife look this evening because I have been playing that role today. Um, I got the exceedingly fun glucose test done earlier today. It takes hours out of your day and you have to drink this bottle that's literally nothing but sugar. Like it's actually designed to not be anything except sugar. So I looked it up and it was 300 calories and 75 grams of straight up sugar. And what they want to do is test and see how you respond to that much sugar at one time and make sure you're within certain parameters. I don't know if I passed or not. I'm assuming I did because I've never had any problems along that vein. But being pregnant does affect your body's ability to process sugar. So hopefully I passed. I'll know tomorrow or the day after. So we'll see what happens. I feel like I've seen a doctor once or twice a week this entire ridiculous process is crazy. I'm sure I'll get used to it over the course of one or two more pregnancies, but we'll see what happens. It's been fun. It's getting hard for me to pick things up. I'm growing. I look like a pyramid, I think, because <laughs> I'm just like, this is the smallest part of my body now, and I just get wider the further down I go, except, you know, obviously my feet. I need one of those things that picks stuff up off the floor, or I'm going to have to put Andy to work and or teach Dot to pick stuff up for me because it's getting harder, and I am definitely getting my squats in, but it's awesome. So this weekend, Andy and I went and saw Oppenheimer, which was really awesome. It is rated R, so you know. Not really family friendly, but it is super nuanced and sufficiently. I think that it's rated R appropriately because obviously you have scenes that children shouldn't be seeing until, you know, they're over the age of 18, 21. Um, but it's very, it's very, I would say tasteful. Typically, I never feel that adult scenes add anything to the conversation because I don't think that Hollywood views um, sex as something that actually is important. Um, but it was handled very well in this, sh in this, um, in this movie. And I felt like they, uh, approached it tastefully enough that it was worth it. It was like a significant part of the show. Um, unfortunately, Oppenheimer is a very flawed human being. It's a very good movie. I felt like, uh, the, the lead actor, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think it's Chilean, Killian. I'm going to call him Killian. He plays in, um, you know, Peaky Blinders. He did an excellent job. It's very clear that he had been eating very, very little. He is very, very thin. Um, he is, uh, hey, thank you, Stuart, for your super chat. Baby coins for you and Andy. That's right. Baby coin to the moon. We're going to be talking about babies, too. In today's show, we have some really good news. We're going to start with some lying ladies, and then we're going to talk about Barbie. I'm going to talk a little bit about Oppenheimer because there was a character in there that I liked. I appreciated that everyone was displayed as flawed humans. Um, and for all their shortcomings, they were shown as incredibly important historical figures, and I really appreciated that. But let's start with some people who are not going to be significant historical figures because they are liars. And this one here is Carly Russell. It was all fake. Carly Russell reveals she made up kidnapping and seeing a toddler on the side of the Alabama interstate after over a week of lies. Cops weigh up criminal charges for wasting police time. Now, when this first happened, there were a lot of people calling her Jussie Smollett, all this other stuff. And I was like, let's wait and see what happens. Then her boyfriend jumped in and started defending her and her mom went on several different shows. And she's like, this really happened. We can't talk about it because of the ongoing investigation. You know how these things are. And I was like, mm, someone is lying here. I don't really like it. Uh, and I don't know what's going to happen next with her because this says, uh, cops weigh up criminal charges for wasting police time. 
Not surprising. Who saw this coming? Show of hands in the chat. Honestly, I'm not at all surprised. Looking at what she Googled before this happened, she Googled taken. She Googled the age limit for Amber Alerts. She Googled how to like steal from her job. She's not like, and I, she's 25. So she still is at home with her parents. She's trying to make ends meet. She's a student. I get it. It's not easy. Life's not always easy. I will say that as a, as a daughter who lived at home with her parents into my 20s, um, because I had no other choice because we were trying to save money and made very, very little money. I never sized up how to steal anything from anywhere. And I worked, you know, in nursing. There would have been opportunities to steal stuff if, if I'd been looking for them. I never was because my understanding was always that I was just going to work. It didn't matter if I was going to get ahead. I wasn't going to come up. It was fine. I was just grinding along at the bottom of the pile. No big deal. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us in the chat. We love having Adrian here. She gives me good pushback when I give Trump a hard time and I appreciate it. Um, but Carly did not need to do this. She just needed to keep her head down and keep grinding, but she couldn't do it. She needed excitement. She needed attention. She needed fame. And this is where it got her. This is, this is what happens. But attention is a currency. And I'm going to look at this next story because I thought this was super interesting too. A store owner says a woman who went viral after claiming she won the Powerball was lying. Here's how the winners actually get confirmed. And I was thinking about it and I was like, how on earth did she get away with this? How did she get away with saying she'd won a billion dollars in California? That's crazy. A video of a woman claiming to be the winner of the $1.08 billion Powerball ticket was untrue. If the woman claimed herself as a winner, she would have had to endure a lengthy verification process. No kidding. The process can take months and includes the assistance of law enforcement officials. Well, it probably should, right? A day after the California lottery confirmed that a store in Los Angeles, California had sold a $1.08 billion Powerball ticket, an unidentified woman told reporters at the store the jackpot was hers. The store owner's granddaughter later told Inside Edition that the woman was not actually the winner of the jackpot and that the actual winner had not yet come forward. The woman is far from the only person in history who has fibbed about winning the large lottery prize, but in California, a vetting process ensures that not just anyone can claim a prize. Well, yeah. States can already track down where the winning tickets are sold and use this information to verify ticket holders, winners of the Powerball or Mega Millions who have a year to claim their prize, can submit a claim form. From there, the state begins its lengthy confirmation process. This confirmation process includes staff at lottery agencies and law enforcement. Carolyn Becker, a spokesperson for the California Lottery, told Nextstar Media Group. These officials will ask winners to corroborate where the ticket was sold and how many tickets they'd purchased. Becker told the publication that they also verify identities, look at security camera footage, and analyze the ticket brought in to see if it is a forgery. If someone files a false claim and is caught during the verification process, they can face felony charges. Yeah, it's crazy. These are huge amounts of money we're talking about, even after the ridiculous amounts of tax is taken. Sometimes the verification process can take months. It took officials three months to verify Edwin Castro, who won the record-breaking $2.04 billion jackpot in February, as the actual prize winner. Castro is currently being sued by a man claiming he stole the jackpot. See? Okay, so I have always said this. I've said two things about the lottery. First, it's a tax on poor people, or it's a tax on stupid people, rather, because the people who are buying these tickets aren't wealthy, and they're never going to be because they're choosing to spend their money on stuff like the lottery. And I won't say this as a judgment. I'm just saying how I see it. I've never purchased a lottery ticket. I've never seen the value in it. Once you end up winning, if you do, if fate is on your side and you end up winning any amount of money, 
You need to go into hiding because people are going to come out of the woodwork to go after you and try to make sure that they're going to get their cut. They're going to get their pound of flesh. And it's crazy to me that this is something that people actually want. You know, as they say, more money, more problems. I know you guys have heard the song. If you were around in the 90s, which, which I suspect most of you were, um, I don't think you want that much money, at least not in this fashion. But I just thought it was really interesting. These two different ladies lying about these two different stories. It's so clear that attention is such a currency right now. And victimhood more than anything in the Carly, um, the Carly Russell story. Crazy, crazy. Had to be a victim. Had to be kidnapped. It had to be a white man that did it. That I never believed. I was like, well, what are the odds that it was a white guy that abducted her? And with orange hair, that's so specific. There's no way that cops wouldn't be able to track this person down. But I was right. It just took me longer to come to that realization than most people because I really do like to have the full as much evidence as humanly possible. And this is why I tend to not like draw my conclusions on the first day that stories like this come out. People are, people are constantly like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? I'm like, it just happened today. I don't think anything about it. We won't think anything about any of these stories until we have as much information as humanly possible. Let's read the statement from her lawyer though. Emery Anthony, attorney for Carly Russell, issues statement. My client's given me permission to make the following statement on her behalf. There was no kidnapping on July 13, 2023. My client did not see a baby on the side of the road. My client did not leave the Hoover area when she was identified as a missing person. My client did not have any help in this incident, but this was a single act done by herself. My client was not with anyone or at any hotel during the time she was missing. My client apologizes for her actions to the community, the volunteers who were seeking for her, searching for her, to the Hoover Police Department and other agencies, as well as to her friends and family. We ask for your prayers for Carly as she addresses her issues and intends to move, understanding that she made a mistake. Carly again asks for your forgiveness and prayers. Well, I think that's a very fair request. I think she should certainly be prayed for. She's obviously got some stuff going on that she needs to handle. And I feel bad for her. She's young and full of potential and she should not try to pursue attention this way. She should be trying to make herself better uh, under her own power and try to not take advantage of other people. But it is what it is. All right, you guys, I have some cool news that I just found out about this evening as I was researching for tonight's show. Parents of unborn babies can get, (coughs) excuse me, to get massive tax credits under new GOP push to incentivize mothers to carry pregnancies to term. Sounds great to me. Let's read about it. I'm not sure where we are in this process. It's obviously not the case yet. A new child tax credit proposal from Republicans would include retroactive credits for the time of pregnancy after to after a mother gives birth. Legislation is part of the GOP's pro-life agenda after the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Great. Happy to see it. I'm always happy to see the GOP doing things. And it's a very low hurdle to clear. I just want them to do stuff. Like if you're going to be pro-life, be pro-life. Push stuff like this and make it happen as much as possible. You might have to compromise a little bit to push it through. But if you're going to be conservative, be conservative. I know it's confusing. It's very difficult and hard to understand, but... At the end of the day, this is what we need, right? If you think the left is up to no good, you need to offer a viable alternative, something that people will find appealing. And this is certainly sounds like one of those things. Representative Ashley Hinson is leading the effort to expand child tax credits 
to include characterizing the unborn as dependents. Indeed, they are. This baby is depending on me literally for its very survival right now. Like the things that I eat are feeding it directly. Like I don't even have to take the action of finding some source of food for it because everything that I take in goes directly to it. It's great. It's fantastic. But they are making life (laughs) a little more difficult than it was before, which is fine. It's part of the deal. That's how it works. I get it. And I signed up for it. So I'm in no way unhappy with it. But it is certainly a form of dependence. And that's okay. That's great. That's what children are supposed to do. You want to talk about true dependency. A child would be the actual first foremost type of dependent that you could consider. And then after that would be aging parents and people who are unable to take care of themselves. In another push to protect unborn babies, Republicans are unveiling their own tax credit expansion to include retroactive benefits for the duration of a woman's pregnancy. The Providing for Life Act claims to overhaul the federal government's family care system and is being spearheaded by Representative Ashley Hinson from Iowa. A cornerstone of the new law is providing parents with the retroactive credits for unborn children. Legislation confirmed to DailyMail.com, so this is very early in the process, right? We don't even really fully know very much about it. Would increase the refundable child tax credit from the current $2,000 per dependent to $3,500 for those under the age of 6 and 45 for those between the ages of 6 and 17. Parents would need to be employed to receive the credit under the Republican bill. I do like that. Personally, I also think that they should probably be married, but that's just me being super conservative and I don't expect to be able to ask that much of the GOP. Under Henson's proposal package, parents would become eligible for claiming the tax credit for the prior year during their pregnancy and also get access to the regular tax credit for the current year after their child is born. Very cool. I've never seen Representative Henson before, so I hope that she does great things. The package also would aim to address the U.S. maternity and paternity leave, very important, which critics say is far behind other developed nations. Now, that should be bipartisan, okay? This is something that Democrats whine about constantly, and honestly, I don't really blame them. If other countries are able to accommodate maternity leave and, yes, paternity leave, which is something that's really incredibly rare in the U.S., then the U.S. should be able to as well. Countries, some, some companies, not countries, some companies will go above and beyond. For example, Public Square, which is where Andy works, is great. They have a really cool $5,000 bonus if and when you have children and or if you adopt a kid. Really, really neat um, initiative, and I appreciate that. Not sure about the paternity leave status, but whatever works, we're grateful, really happy that he's there. So, States would also receive incentives under the package to implement guidelines for fathers, contributing to payment of women's pregnancy costs. That's cool, too. You want to incentivize men to be part of their kids' lives. You want to make it easier for them to be able to spend time with them. I think that's great. The Dobbs decision last June reversed that decision and sent... Okay, so the bill comes as Republicans continue to push pro-life agenda, blah, 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 overturn of Roe v. Wade. The Dobbs decision last June reversed that decision and sent abortion laws back to the states to decide. More than a dozen states had so-called trigger laws, which outlawed abortion once the SCOTUS decision was handed down in 2022. Some GOP lawmakers have expressed openness to putting federal-level limitations on abortion, like limiting the procedure to the first six weeks of pregnancy. I think that's a great idea, but people like Donald Trump will tell you that that is too extreme of a stance. Well, I don't think it's too extreme of a stance at all, because if abortion is wrong, it is wrong at any stage. And I know that's hard for some people to hear, but it's just the bottom line. I remember when I was in anatomy and physiology, listening to my anatomy professor and being curious, like where he stood on this. And all he ever said 
was this is clearly where life begins. There is no other place where it could possibly start. And with that understanding, this is where the human life starts developing. Unless you can watch this over the course of the following nine months, you can see what happens. So let's talk a little bit about the Barbie movie, because I've seen a lot of positive feedback on it from conservatives, and I can't help being kind of annoyed by this feedback. I'm very confused by the Twitter, the new Twitter logo. It's incredibly confusing. I had very a very spicy take on this last night, and I will share it with you guys now. If you are willing to sign off on the rank misandry of Barbie because you have cute little girl memories of pink cars and high-heeled shoes, I don't know what to tell you except that you are not an ally in the fight against toxic femininity and feminism. That does sound harsh. I apologize for the harsh tone of that, but I mean it seriously. What they put into Barbie was toxic. And you know that mothers didn't explain to their daughters that this was wrong. They went in with their daughters. They enjoyed it. They soaked it in. They remembered what it was like to have a Barbie and to have those cute little high heel shoes and the cute pink car and all the cute clothes and all the fun stuff that comes with being a little girl. That's great. It's fine to have great memories of that stuff. But there's a reason that the director chose not to tell people what was actually in the movie. This is gross. It's just gross. It's just more social justice nonsense. And it's just, it's dull and it's boring. And it frankly demeans half of the human population. And I have a problem with that. I appreciate the men in my life. Even though men have come after me for sticking up for men's rights, and that's caused me to kind of step back my defense of them, it doesn't matter. They still comprise half of the human population and they deserve the exact same positive treatment that we give women, period. And Pierce Morgan kind of agrees with me on this. Um, kind of questionable character though he is. If I made a movie that treated women the way Barbie treats men, feminists would want me executed. Of course! Of course! Let's read. What is the patriarchy? I bet most people reading this haven't a clue. Even I don't really understand it. And according to radical feminists, I'm supposed to be the very personification of what it supposedly represents. But it's a word that's so relentless, that is said so relentlessly in the smash hit new Barbie movie that it's worth knowing exactly what it means. And that's something I'd like to point out to all these conservative ladies who are soaking in all the retro joy of having a Barbie movie. They went for the Barbie appeal patriarchy is hammered relentlessly over the course of this film. It is not subtle. It is not something you can work around. It's gross. I'm sorry. I really don't like it. And I don't like the idea that appealing to a woman's sentimental side is going to allow you to shoehorn in leftist values, especially on mothers with little girls. To me, that's just really gross. I find that to be especially incredibly shady. Now, I will say that I have a clear, like, I don't have a bias here because I did not play with Barbies when I was younger. My mom did not think it was good. My mom was no feminist. She was super conservative, but she did not think it was good for little girls to have something like a Barbie to which to aspire, right? She didn't think that was the right kind of role model for a little girl. She would probably tell you that the proper role model for a young woman is the Psalm, the Proverbs 31 woman, which is functionally a businesswoman who also keeps house and earns money for her family. Very cool situation. If you guys haven't read Proverbs 31, you should do that now. It's very inspiring. It's very aspirational. Definitely not Barbie because Barbie is nothing but materialism. Wild to me that people are pushing this stuff from the right. Really kind of gross. The literal translation derived from the ancient Greek word patriarchies is the rule of the father and denoted the reality at the time that men were the titular heads of most families and organizations. Stuart chimes in, fathers need to be there for the wives and newborns, so paternity pay is essentially 
ab- essential, absolutely 100%. Yeah, and fathers do so many positive things. I don't know if you guys follow Save Your Sons on Twitter and Instagram. He has a fantastic list of all the fantastic benefits that come from fathers being present in homes. Lower crime, lower poverty, increased self-esteem, increased grades, all these wonderful benefits just from having a dad there. Dads really matter, and they've been pushed out of the home by the welfare system in the black community, which is a huge problem, and that definitely bears consideration, but paternity leave is a great place to start as well. But in recent times, the concept of the patriarchy has been hijacked and corrupted by feminazis who suggest that every aspect of life and society is dominated by powerful, privileged males over subjugated, underprivileged females, which is interesting because these feminists will also tell you at the same time that girls are unbelievable girl bosses. They can do whatever they want. They rule the world. Was the Beyonce song? I don't even know. Never listened to it. All about how girls run everything and how important they are. But they're also saying that women are subjugated and underprivileged. And I understand why they have to say this. This is because they set up what's essentially a racket for themselves. It's basically like the, the charity model of ideology. You can't solve the problem because then you're out of work, right? You can't actually fix it because then you don't matter anymore. They need to matter because as we were just talking about, attention is currency. They need attention. They need money. They need to pretend that they're victims because otherwise they don't matter at all. In short, men are evil oppressors. Women are unimpeachable, perfect victims. And anyone who dares challenge this notion is a disgusting misogynist. Barbie does nothing to dissuade anyone from this view. I would counter that Barbie does a lot to convince people that this is true 100% of the time with zero exceptions. The movie's clear message is that the only solution to this dreadful patriarchal state of affairs is for women to rule the world and preferably to do so on their own without horrible men to ruin the planet for them. It's a ridiculously misandrist message as being rammed down the throats of literally tens of millions of people as Barbie smashes box office records around the world the $300 million opening weekend, even clipping Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's much vaunted blockbuster about the man who invented the atomic bomb. Forgive me if I don't join the widespread exclamations of unbridled joy at its unexpected success. I certainly would not either. It does seem like people are just going for the throwback, for the memories, for the little pink car, for the Barbie appeal, the high heel shoes. You know how it is. If you've ever been a young lady, you know, there's a huge appeal to pink stuff. It's very, very important. There's a phase in every young lady's life where she's also probably, I think most young ladies, also very much into the concept of horses. I think it's very important. I have to own a horse. I have to be a horsewoman. I have to ride horses. Not sure why that is. That was certainly the case for me, especially because my aunt owned horses and we got to ride them together in the desert. Great memories there. But all young girls tend to fall into this group because there's like... It's almost like genders are different and young ladies like pink things and it's very important that they have pink shoes, pink clothes, pink hair bands, just like I'm wearing right now. And what's really interesting to me was that the movie opens with this scene that's kind of a a parody of um, Space Space Odyssey 2001 or whatever, 2001 is Space Odyssey, where the girls, the little cave girls go out and they're smashing their baby dolls because they found something better, right? They're smashing the sign of maternity and family care in exchange for this vapid, super materialistic symbol, which is Barbie with her nice high heeled shoes and her cute little dress. And it's just such a sad trade. My mom was fine with us playing with uh, baby dolls because she's like, well, that's a maternal thing to do. It's very important that, you know, girls are able to act out this, this, because if you, if you leave a girl 
to their own devices, right? Just like if you leave a boy to their own devices. If you leave a girl to her own devices for long enough, she will find like a sack of flour and treat it like a baby. Whereas if you leave a boy to his own devices, he will find a stick and pretend that it's a weapon, right? And if he finds, for example, a baby doll, he will he will treat it like a, a victim of a war crime. Seriously, it's no joke. There are huge differences in the genders, but for whatever reason, they just, the feminists keep pushing this idea that we it's better for women to be second class men, second rate men than it is for, to just be women. So they're telling you to not embrace who you are. They're telling you to pretend you are something that you're not. I find that very fake, very vapid, very shallow, and I wish that, wish that conservative women weren't falling for it, like apparently they are. Now, we know that a lot of these writers and actors are on strike right now, which is very unfortunate because I, for one, was very much looking forward to the ridiculous new version of Snow White. However, let's look at what they're saying lately. This, these are two actors, actresses from the movie, and they have a lot to say about Snow White itself. Clip of Disney's Snow White star Rachel Zegler dissing the 1937 film goes viral. She's not going to be saved by the prince. So this is more of the same feminist dreck that we saw in Barbie. And it's not interesting. Okay? It's old. I am tired of being told that I should want to just be a knockoff man instead of a strong form of what I actually am, which is a woman. I wish that they taught things like household management, home economics, um, finances, and all that other stuff to women. That is important. That's essential. Your life doesn't run properly without those things. Once you have those tools under your belt, you can help your husband, you can help yourself, you can make everyone's life better. But no, they're going to cram you into this cookie cutter version of a second rate male I hate it. I'm so sick of it. And I'm especially sick of this Snow White thing because it's in the name. She's supposed to be whiter than driven snow. And I know they're trying to be inclusive or whatever, but they're literally going against the title of the story itself. And the story has held up for centuries. Like it's one of the older stories to come from Germany, from my understanding. This is so gross. Zegler, who plays a Latina Snow White, Dissed the original Disney animated classic movie in a red carpet interview last year that recently was unearthed and went viral following the publication of unauthorized photos from the movie set. I'm sure you guys have seen the pictures. They are not dwarves. They are not people who live with dwarfism. I think that's how we're referring to it now. I'm just going to use the old school term. We'll see what YouTube does with that. It's no longer 1937, the actress told Variety at last year's D23 Disney Fan Expo. She's not going to be saved by the prince. She's not going to be dreaming about true love. Instead, she's going to be a bargain basement man. She's dreaming about becoming the leader she knows she can be. These are male traits that they are pushing for women. Instead of being a supportive wife or a supportive woman or a strong, fearless mother or a nurturing woman, she has to be a strong leader. And Rachel goes on to say the leader, her late father, told her that she could be if she was fearless, fair, brave, and true. And I would just like to highlight that she's again going back to what males are telling females to do. I got to be honest. I really don't like the way that sounds as far as feminism goes. I just thought that was really ironic. Kind of interesting. Snow White, which is set to open in March 2024, is already generating significant blowback from an unflattering set photo showing the seven dwarves are played by a multiracial, gender-diverse group of hipsters. 
all but one of whom are normal sized. Last year, actor Peter Dinklage lambasted the idea of all seven characters being dwarves, sending Disney scrambling to consult with members of the dwarfism community. So we can't, we have no idea. No one has any idea what to call it. Right? No one has any idea what to call these people. It's actually nonsense. What appeared to be a sly PR maneuver, Disney initially said the photos were fake, only to retract the statement hours later, admitting the images were real but unauthorized. Annoying. Annoying. Yeah, here you go. Extremely appreciative, says Rachel Zegler, of the love I feel from those defending me online, but please don't tag me in a nonsensical discourse about my casting. Rachel, you are not fit for the part. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's going to be hard to hear because you have been fed the lie that there is a subversive form of white supremacy in everything you do in this country. And it's a lie. And I'm sorry that you soaked it in. I'm sorry that you believe it. I'm happy that you got this part because you're a fine actress, I guess. You deserve to succeed just like everyone in the U.S., but you're not right for this part. You can get a different one. This isn't the first time Rachel Zegler has alienated potential ticket buyers with her wokeness. In 2021, she shamed Americans who don't speak Spanish during her promotional tour for the West Side Story remake. The movie did not provide English subtitles for Spanish language scenes. Yeah, well, the good news about that is that no one remembers her West Side Story remake, I'm pretty sure. I don't know why I have all these ads for Sucre. That seems kind of weird. Maybe because I was talking about taking the glucose test. But on a more realistic note, on the topic of ladies, this is a piece from Elle about Kitty Oppenheimer. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie. I appreciated the very realistic depiction of Kitty Oppenheimer. So apparently in real life, she was a former communist. She had been a card-carrying, an actual card-carrying member of the Communist Party, like apparently many of the people in Robert Oppenheim's life. Um, But she was also to some degree an alcoholic and that is portrayed in the movie. I don't want to share too many spoilers, but she was she was portrayed pretty well and pretty realistically by the movie. I liked very much that she did stand up for her husband at his security hearings. And in the movie, she is shown as kind of berating him and belaboring him because he's not standing up for himself. And she has a particularly testy exchange with one of his detractors, a guy who basically called him out as a traitor. And she said, I can't believe you shook his hand. I would have spit in his face. Um, She has the opportunity to do that at the end of the movie, and she does not. But it's very clear that she wants to, and she certainly does not shake his hand. And I couldn't help being impressed by this portrayal of a woman who is a wife and a mother. And it's very clear that that's very, very hard on her. She's actually portrayed as having a hard time dealing with a crying infant for the entirety of a day. And her husband comes home and their son is crying. And he's like, shouldn't you go to him? And she goes, I have been going to him all day and she's drinking. And I'm like, yeah, it's hard. It's very hard to be a mother. It's hard to be in demand 24 seven. I completely get that. The fact that she was willing to stand up for her husband and the fact that the movie did not see a need to try to erroneously cast her as someone who thought it was in her best interest to act exactly like a man, to me, was exceptional. So she was one of, I felt, the greater characters in the movie. She was a flawed woman. She was divorced. Like I said, she was a communist. She was borderline alcoholic, at least, if not fully so. 
She led a very interesting life. She's a botanist, former member of the Communist Party, eventually a yacht captain. Kind of an interesting background. Um, he was a bit of a womanizer. There was a lot of that kind of adult material. People are human. People do all sorts of crazy stuff, including historical figures. But I wanted to draw attention to her because I don't think she's going to get a lot of attention. This was one of the only pieces I could find about her. I was very impressed with her actions on her husband's behalf during the course of the movie because he was very rather unjustly persecuted, which is basically the thrust of the whole movie, which you guys probably know if you know anything about him. But kind of an interesting character, really played well by Emily Blunt, and she was a pretty disagreeable woman, and I respect that, as I've said in the past. So, all right, you guys, like I said earlier, I was confused by the X instead of the Twitter bird that we have now. Twitter's blue bird comes crashing down. Cops are called as Elon Musk has a sign removed from the firm's San Francisco headquarter without notifying security as he changes the company's name to X after 18 years. This is so interesting to me, although it's not all that important because uh, I appreciate the element of chaos that Twitter, uh, that Elon Musk brings to Twitter. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but apparently participation over on threads, which was supposed to blow Twitter out of the water, um, is down 70% from when it first started, which I could have told you because it seemed to me like one of those places that leftists were fleeing to in order to push back on actual freedom of speech, just like Mastodon was early on when Twitter was acquired by Elon Musk. I think it's great. I love the chaos. I think the tech world as a whole needs to be shaken up, and I think it's fantastic. That's exactly what Elon Musk is doing. I think, flawed as he is, um, history will probably look back on him with much the same ire as it looks back on Oppenheimer. Honestly, although he did nothing so significant as building the atom bomb, um, I think that the the element of chaos he's introducing is really kind of scrambling people's brains. People who expect things to be a certain way. They expect social media to kowtow to all their demands all the time. They expect everyone to just get along and do what they say. Uh, he's not allowing that to happen anymore. And I cannot, I cannot be more grateful. Honestly, not perfect. It's fine. Whatever. But I like what he's doing and I hope that he keeps it up. I hope he continues to shake up Twitter and I hope he actually turns into something profitable. I don't know what that's going to look like. He's going to have to get a little creative and it's going to be challenging for sure. But we'll see what happens there. I just thought that was fun. Now, Slightly more significant. Oh, yeah. Stevie J says threads equals Google Plus. Yeah. Planet Fatness says, I kind of liked Google Plus, but the name was dumb and nobody used it. Yes. Well, it's fine to like something, but if no one else is using it, there's really, I mean, there's no point. Bridget May says, liberals say bacteria is considered life on Mars, but a heartbeat is not considered life on Earth. That's correct. I've heard that too. That's because their ideology is completely inconsistent. And this is why it didn't surprise me during the pandemic when leftists were immediately on the side of big pharma because they don't have a consistent ideology. They don't believe in this actual objective truth. They believe in whatever suits them at the time, which is why you were able to have punk stars who were singing about sticking it to the man and simultaneously singing Kyoto now like bad religion did. And I remember even in high school, I was like, what is the deal with these people calling for big government, calling themselves against the man and calling themselves countercultural? Because they're not and they have to know they're not. It's because they don't believe in anything. They really, really don't. Now, I come from a background and a family where beliefs were everything. I mean, everything to the point that it actually was kind of detrimental. Like, it's hard to engage with your kids when your beliefs matter that much, like almost more than your children, which is 
honestly, I don't really like. But yeah, man, because the Democrats don't have those solid beliefs, they will shift like the wind, bacteria, life on Mars, heartbeat, not life on Earth. Wake Up Waverly says the bird has flown the coop. You might say it escaped. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Adrian says Google Plus was way better than Facebook. I never used Google Plus, so I'm not sure. <laughs> Planet Fatness says, why is Elon's wife mad at him? He's in love with his ex. But um, he also has SpaceX, so I think he's kind of trying to unify all the brands and kind of one overarching brand. We'll see what happens. Who knows? Mulan didn't have Mushu fake stories, says Texas Ranger. I want a movie with Ron Ryan Reynolds starring as MLK. Yes, I have seen those for sure. Stevie says, by their own logic, they're erasing white people and being racist to white people. Right. But again, they're not consistent. They don't care. They don't like the idea of white people and they will do everything in their power to scrub them from all of the history. So we know, we see it, we call it. It feels like it's all getting rather shaky. I will say it's starting to feel like it's kind of on its secondary legs, kind of getting its second wind. And then I hope that it really expires over the course of the next three to five years. There was a school board member who was escorted from a meeting by police. It's a great story. Um, after vehemently disagreeing with a policy change that would have forced teachers and administrators to tell parents when their children were socially transitioning. And it just warmed my heart. And it made me really think that if this is happening in California, where people are being removed for being too vehement in their defense of this kind of ridiculous leftist woke ideology. It can happen anywhere. It could be coming to a city near you. So stay tuned. Don't give up hope. Don't be blackpilled. It's going to be okay in the end. Speaking of going to be okay, let's look at what's going on in Florida because that is in fact the center of the universe because it's because it's where I live. Obviously, just kidding. Let's read about this. Categorically false. Black member of Florida curriculum group fires back at Kamala Harris's criticism criticism. A prominent civil rights figure who helped craft Florida's African-American history standards has blasted VP Kamala Harris' assessment of the curriculum as categorically false. Dr. William Allen, former chairman of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, says Harris was way off when she claimed in a speech last week that the standards suggested slavery was beneficial to black Americans. The only criticism I've encountered so far on the new curriculum is a single one that was articulated by the vice president and which was an error. Allen, who is black, told ABC News in footage touted by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, press secretary, and that is Jeremy. Uh, yeah, let's see here. As I stated in my response to the vice president, it was categorically false. It was never said that slavery was beneficial to Africans. This is Adams, who is on the working group that helps devise the curriculum. Florida Department of Education unveiled its revised instruction standards for the African-American studies last week. So slavery was discussed something like almost 200 times over the course of this curriculum. One time, one time, it never said slavery was beneficial to African-Americans. One time it said some formerly enslaved African-Americans learned skills from their captivity that led to success later in life. And it gave a list of people for whom this was the case, including most notably to me, sticks out most in my mind, I have a very short memory, George Washington Carver, right? The state had previously rejected a pilot advanced placement course on African-American studies because of concerns from the DeSantis administration about discussion of communism and authors who wrote about so-called critical race theory, among other gripes. 
These are significant concerns, and I'm very glad they're having this conversation. I hope that other states will follow suit. The term socially transitioning is effing demonic, says Adrian. Just hearing it gives me chills. Yes, 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 100%. And this is one of the things that people say, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. What do you mean grooming? They're not trying to, you know, seduce children or anything. And I'm like, that's exactly what this is. That's exactly what this is. You're introducing kids to the idea that this is fine. This is normal. It's okay for you to do this. We'll hide this from your parents for you. That is the essence of grooming. That is the definition of grooming is indoctrinating children into an idea that is counter to what their families believe. Disgusting. Disgusting. Truly is actually demonic. Let's see here. Florida's African-American History Standards Workshop was tasked with trying to help rectify those concerns. Shortly after the new standards were revealed and approved by the Florida Board of Education, a major state teachers union rallied railed against them. Of course, because... Because it's hard to tell whether Democrats are captured by teachers unions or whether teachers unions are captured by Democrats. It's a very incestuous relationship over there. It's disgusting. And that is why our children are being shoved this stuff. This is why this is happening. Okay. Because this teachers unions are hand in glove with the Democrats 24 seven. This never changes. And if the sooner you figure out, figure that out, the better. And the sooner you remove your children from these schools, the better, because there is no room for institutional change when teachers unions are in in charge of teaching positions and when teachers unions are fully in the grasp of the Democratic Party. The Florida Education Association issued a lengthy statement alleging that new standards requiring middle school students be taught that experience of slavery was beneficial to African Americans because it helped them acquire skills. I just have to say, we're to the point in our political dialogue where Kamala Harris is giving us things to talk about. And I can't help thinking it's so tiresome that our dialogue is at the level of Kamala Harris. This is so stupid. This is one instance from almost 200 mentions of the topic of slavery in which something incontrovertible is said that is factually provably correct in the instances of multiple people historical figures who went on after being freed from slavery to do great things based partly on things that they learned while they were in captivity. It, what's even the point of discussing this? It's so simple. Why aren't we talking about bigger, more complicated, more nuanced, more serious issues? Why are we dumbing ourselves down like this? It's so, it's frustrating because I want to have those hard conversations. I want to be pushed. I want to be like, forced to engage with interesting ideas I'd never considered. I want to be forced to think about all these new different ideas. That's just not happening because our level of dialogue is on Kamala Harris's and it's just a sign of where we are as a country. And I hate it. I really hate it. Deborah Mueller says, shush, that's an inconvenient truth. Well, that's not even the spiciest take on slavery that some people hold. From my understanding, I think it was Larry Elder who said, and I'm quoting him directly here, that he believes that slavery actually was beneficial to the people who now live in the U.S. because instead of living in Africa, they now live here. I won't say that I completely agree with that. It's not my spot. It's not my position. I don't have that kind of firmly held belief. But he does hold that position. And he is, you know, he's a well-respected leader in the conservative movement. You're welcome to hold those ideas. That's fine. I think it's an interesting take. 
Why can't we have those conversations? Why are we dumbing this down to, oh my gosh, slavery is bad. Who knew? Who knew slavery was bad? I could have fooled me. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that Democrats think that slavery is bad. From my understanding, Republicans actually think it's pretty bad too. So does everyone, both sides of the aisle. Stewart says homeschool is the only way. I'm inclined to believe that. Janice says there's a channel called History Debunked that talks about the white slave trade videos that should be taught in schools. Yes. Yes. And I think I've mentioned this podcast in the past. I personally deeply appreciate Dan Carlin, even though he's not on my political side of the aisle. I don't really care what side of the aisle he's he's on. I don't really know. I view him as more of a history teacher because he makes it his job to go out there and study um, all of the nuances of history, whether they agree with the right side or the left side of the aisle. He did a five-hour show, a recording about slavery, and he said that people told him not to. He said this isn't, a, they said this isn't a crowd pleaser, this isn't that exciting, people aren't going to like it. He said, why are you telling me not to do this? I'm going to do it because you're telling me not to. And I appreciate people like that very much. That slight degree of disability is exactly what we need to actually teach people about what happened over the course of history. Now, I just started listening to it. Andy didn't want to listen to it on the drive down from Boston, but I know it's somewhat depressing. History can be very depressing. Like, we live in a very nice, very cushiony time, and we are so lucky and so blessed and so spoiled right now. History can be kind of hard to consider. But slavery has touched every single country on earth for hundreds of years, every different race. It didn't matter. People of the same races would sell sell out their own brothers and sisters to for the sake of money and it was just a matter of in, like a matter of making money and a matter of having influence and it's just something that people did it's just a facet of human nature unfortunately and the u.s ended it the u.s and the uk ended the institution of slavery and they deserve credit for that 100 percent st miles said stayed quiet stay quiet in the chat just listen to interesting show Gotta go now. Tip for dip and dot treats. Thank you very much, St. Miles. We hugely appreciate it. 100%. Glad you could join us. Glad it was an interesting show. I think this will be the last story we cover just here because this is super interesting. I find it fascinating. Media beg Republicans to move on from Hunter Biden because they know the scandal is serious. It's from Jonathan Turley, whom we love and appreciate. He's a law professor. I forget where he teaches. He's a very smart man. Let's read what he's got to say. Quote, I wonder after this plea happened if you would advise your party to move on. That question from CBS's Face the Nation host Margaret Brennan to Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie was raised just days before a former business associate of Hunter Biden's Devin, Devin Archer gives potentially explosive testimony to a House committee in the Biden corruption scandal. Yeah, they know this is serious. They know it is. Stevie says maybe Dip will grace us with his furry presence. Unfortunately, I have isolated the dot, so we don't have Dip in here just because I didn't want them fighting behind me. So no Dip, just a little dot tonight. That question from CBS's Face the Nation host Margaret Brennan. Right, right, right. If the media's desire to move on from the scandal is reaching an almost frantic level, as millions in foreign payments and dozens of corporate shell companies are revealed and incriminating emails are released. Yeah kind of feel bad for them, but not really. The same plaintive demand was made in con congressional hearings. What was the most striking about the last hearing involving two respected IRS whistleblowers was how Democrat members avoided virtually any specific questions. Yeah, they know they can't handle them. 
The members discussed everything from the Emmett Till murder in 1955 to whether the term two-tiered justice system is racially insensitive. Oh my gosh. And of course, Donald Trump. Guys, this weekend, I have to be honest. I kept seeing news stories about racial division and I just hit my limit and I could feel it. I was like, I'm done. Okay. I'm done hearing about racial division. I'm done hearing about racial insensitivity. I don't care anymore. The U.S. is not a racist country. Whatever systemic problems we have apply to people pretty much as equally as humanly possible. And where they don't, it's not because of our history history of whatever. Whatever Democrats will tell you. I am sick of it. I'm really, really sick of it. Man. And I would love to talk to somebody who could convince me otherwise, but I just have such a hard time constantly hearing this drumbeat. I'm a terrible person. My ancestors are terrible people. Everyone I've ever known was a terrible person because they're white. Stop. 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 I am not guilty for what happened 200 years ago. You are not guilty for what happened 200 years ago. You had no say in what happened then. Just like African Americans were not complicit in their slavery, not all white Americans, no, no, white Americans who live today were in no way complicit in what happened 200 years ago. And it's absolutely mind-bogglingly stupid to suggest that this is the case. They just want group guilt. They want group guilt. And just like feminism, it is an endless spiral that they have to keep pushing in order to maintain their status as victims and in order to maintain their fundraising status. It's ridiculous, but I digress. It was clear that the defense of the new evidence of corruption had left no room to maneuver for both Democrat politicians and the media. That's right. It's becoming incontrovertible. Any question would now trip a wire on the Biden. So most avoid the allegations in favor of talking about Trump or other shiny objects. The only member who was unwise enough to venture into the allegations was Representative Dan Goldman. And the result was disastrous for the Democrats. Goldman bizarrely raised one of the most damaging news pieces of evidence in the investigation. I heard about this. It was wild. He asked about a lunch where Joe Biden came to say hello at the Four Seasons Hotel to a lunch that he was having with CEFC executives. So those are Hunter's business associates. Business associates. He asked, uh, yep, he then read how Biden associate Rob Walker described the origins of the meeting with the Chinese officials to get his dad to stop by. Hunter told his dad that I may be trying to start a company or try to do something with these guys. Yeah, that's right. Doesn't that sound like influence peddling to you, Dan? Apparently not. Dan's not the brightest bulb. He just comes from money. That's kind of how he got in his position. And he stepped in it hardcore. Goldman asked slyly, now let me ask you something. That doesn't sound much like Joe Biden was involved in whatever Hunter was doing with the CEFC. If Hunter Biden's telling him that he's trying to do business with them, does it? That's when Shapley stated the obvious. No, it does show that he told his father that he was trying to do business and Goldman finally saw the problem and cut him off with, okay, well, that is true that Hunter Biden does try to do business. That is correct. Joe Biden has consistently held that he knew nothing, absolutely nothing about Hunter Biden's business dealings. This is so abundantly untrue at this point that I don't think anyone on the left can even possibly hope to defend it. And that's kind of why they're trying to avoid it, I think, at this point. Goldman demolished the Biden defense in less than five minutes. Yikes. <laughs> now Archer's expected to testify that Joe Biden participated in actual phone calls with them. That will allow investigators to build further on the foundation Goldman laid. Thank you, Dan Goldman, Democrat from New York. 
Archer would join other witnesses like Hunter's business associate Tony Bobulinski, who said that he sat down with Joe Biden to discuss the deals. Bobulinski was instructed by Biden associate James Gillier to not speak of the former VP's connection to any transactions. No matter the severity of the revisions, the liberal media has called the investigation a clown show. Of course, they have no defense, right? They're backed against, they're backed into a corner. They're backed against the wall. There's nothing else they can say. It's a distraction. It's repeatedly disproven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even as new witnesses keep coming forward, they keep saying the same old things. Others have continued to tell the public that though there remain no alleged ties from Hunter to President Biden, despite emails, pictures, and witness testimony. This is incriminating. This is a picture of David Archer. Yet it's becoming harder and harder to avoid these details. With the possible testimony of Hunter's business associates, the only hope is that Republicans might be convinced to, quote, move on. They freaking better not. They had better not. What is most notable about the question to Christie was a reference to a plea bargain. A year ago, I wrote a column on how the political and media establishment would likely use a scandal implosion to approach, approach as the evidence mounted over the corruption allegations. Good forecasting from Jonathan Turley. After the Democrats lost the House, there was a need to cap off the scandal, and I suggested that the Justice Department would secure a light plea on a couple tax counts with little to no jail time. He nailed it. Good job, Jonathan. Members of the media would then declare the scandal closed and demand that we all, quote, move on. That's exactly what's happening. I'm inclined to trust Jonathan Turley with my life now because he can make a mean prediction, especially in the legal legal front. It's unnerving to see how the response unfolded so precisely as predicted. Members made repeated reference to the plea bargain to avoid further discussion. Of course, of course. It feels like the more you know about the Democrats and how they operate, the easier it becomes to predict what exactly they're going to do. I can kind of do this with drivers on the road. I'll see somebody who comes up in the middle lane to my left. And I'll be like, okay, you're going to try to cut in front of me or you're going to try to go to the left because the person in the middle lane isn't going to the speed that you would like them to. And I can 99% of the time predict exactly what they're going to do. Most of the time they're going to try to cut in front of me. Sometimes they'll slow down a little bit so they can stay in the middle lane and then cut to the left. But I kind of know how they work. This is kind of how Jonathan Turley is handling this. He's looking at their past. He's saying, okay, here's probably what they're going to try to do. And he's exactly on point. Members in the media were literally citing a plea bargain as dispositive, even as two lead investigators were saying it was fixed and politically influenced. I don't know what dispositive means. Let's look that up. Define dispositive. Legal. A dispositive fact is a fact that if proven with necessary certainty, resolves a legal dispute on its own. Okay. This legal jargon for it's done, it's over, don't worry about it, we're good here, let it go. Makes sense. Some in the media attack these two IRS veterans as so-called whistleblowers, just as members previously attacked so-called journalists for discussing censorship records. That's right. That's what they called people like Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger, and Lee Fong, who came out and were talking about what Twitter had actually done. They tried to pretend that they weren't journalists because they were saying what they would probably call malinformation. That is information that makes the left look bad, even though it's actually true. So here are Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler. So grateful for their testimony. They're doing very important work. Others insisted the allegations were still unproven or unverified while showing the same lack of interest in establishing the truth. Notably, these same media outlets did wall-to-wall coverage of the false Russian collusion claims in the Steele dossier. 
They're now they're now simply shrugging off what could be one of the most serious corruption scandals in modern history, despite the testimony of highly credible whistleblowers and thousands of pages of supporting evidence. None of this is going to work, of course. I hope he's right in this prediction, too. The public has long ago lost trust in the media. Indeed, the Let's Go Brandon movement is make is as much a mocking of the media as it is of the president. Polls show the public is not in moving on. Not in the public is not moving on and now views as a major scandal. A majority believe that hunters receive special protection in the investigation while the media can continue to suppress the evidence of the allegations within their own echo chamber platforms. Truth like water has a way of finding a way out. The scandal is moving forward with or without the media. Let's look at this one real fast. Yeah. Majority of Americans say Joe and Hunter's business deals and links to alleged bribery scheme are serious. Biden gate gets real. A new poll shows half of Democrats believe influence peddling scheme is a scandal. Wow. Even Democrats agree. That's crazy. Let's look at this one. GOP demands Biden impeachment after Hunter's ex-business partner reveals alleged calls must be held accountable. And I think this is where David Archer was speaking because he made the case that Biden had been involved in dozens of calls on Hunter's behalf or with Hunter's knowledge or with Hunter in the call after he said that he had no knowledge of his son's business dealings. And it's becoming more and more clear that millions of dollars were paid directly to this family to get influence. I mean, it's really incredibly clear cut. (sighs) Gross. Let's look at this one next. Hunter Biden put then VP dad Joe on the phone with business associates at least two dozen times, ex-partner Devin Archer will testify. I think I called him David. I think, to be fair, that they also called him David. His name's Devin. Yeah, okay, I called him David. My bad. My fault. My fault. Not New York Post. Appreciate the New York Post, for sure. They're breaking these really big stories. Yeah, so this is getting out of hand, and now this is happening. Now the world can see. Hunter Biden goes to court as fight continues between GOP and White House. Let's see what he's going to court for. On Wednesday, is set to appear in federal court in Wilmington, where he will plead guilty to two misdemeanor court counts of failing to pay taxes and has already reached a pretrial agreement on felony gun charge. But a bigger fight continues between GOP lawmakers and the White House. I'm curious if when he goes to court, that this if this comes up, if there's anything left for them to say. Because if it doesn't, I'll be upset. If they have the opportunity and they let it slip through their fingers, I'll be very mad. But it sounds like they're hanging on to this for dear life. I hope that they will. I trust that they push it through into the 2024 election range because this needs resolution. It is crying for resolution. It is the most disgusting political political corruption. Open, clear, open. (laughs) It's the most in-your-face form of political corruption that I think I've ever seen. And I've been paying attention to this stuff for 20 years. Like, it's never been worse than this. And they're trying to pretend Trump is the same. Categorically untrue. We are at 7.58 p.m. Thank you guys all so much for joining me. I had a great time chatting with you guys. I want to talk more about movies and cultural stuff moving forward. So if you guys see anything interesting, definitely tag me in it. It's going to be a great time for sure. I like to talk about the culture. I think it's often a lot more interesting than the political stuff. Obviously, both need to be addressed, but appreciate it for sure. Let's see. Planet Fatness. I remember when one journalist got caught citing uh, an anonymous source and was just him making it up. Yes, the source is Dude Trust Me. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but yeah, that is the OG journalistic source. Is uh, I made it up. Source, I made it up for sure. Source anonymous. That's right. Funny, we have names and dates, but all of Trump's accusations were from the anonymous source said. Yes, they like to source those anonymous. Cite those anonymous sources. 
You know, for people who are anti-logic and reason, the left is really easy to predict. Maybe that's why they hate it so much. Yeah, so a lot of projection crumbling for the left, and it makes them incredibly easy to read. Oh, let's see what Andy tweeted real fast. It went way up real fast. I didn't have a chance to see it. Oh, I didn't see the tweet. Andy, where is it? All right, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Have a good time over on Timcast IRL. From my understanding, Seamus is now off for vacation, and you are stuck with the original host once again. Have a great time over there. I will see you all next time. Until then.